Are you looking to fine-tune? Whether for your business, your job, your team, or yourself, in each episode, we will be discussing different ideas and opinions using real-world examples to help you see opportunities, innovate, and succeed. Hi, it's Corby Fine, and welcome to Fine Tune. So as someone who describes themselves as a digital and, and performance-focused person, I've always partnered myself really well with, with people that have, I would say, a complementary skill to myself, those that are really strong at some of the more traditional aspects of marketing, particularly those that can tell stories and build brands. And not that I or others aren't capable of doing that who have a digital background, but it's it's a skill that I think has taken a lot of people a lot of time to try and figure out. And so I decided to reach out to my network and find somebody who is not just a self-described, but described by others as being a, quote, brand expert. And so with me today, I've got someone who's currently working at Deloitte, which one might say, huh, a brand expert at Deloitte. What the heck is that all about? But we're going to let her explain that to us. So uh, Livia Zafferli is with me today. Uh, Livia and I had the pleasure of working together at a, a large organization in Canada, one of the big telco companies. But she's got an amazing background from agency to in-house, crossing multiple verticals. Olivia, thank you for being with me today. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be the storyteller and the soft side, the yin to your yang. So this should be exciting today. <laughs> So Livy and I have, have talked a little bit over the past number of years about different topics. And what I really want you, Livia, today to talk to my listeners about is a little bit about, you know, what is it that is still relevant when we're talking about organizations being successful about their brand? What is it that is going to help an organization stand out, be remembered, understand their customers, be cared about? And not just large organizations, but small ones too. Because I, I think often we, we spend so much time and, you know, you working on obviously a, a large organization who focuses on large organizations. Sometimes we forget about the fact that the meat and potatoes of the industry, uh, of the economy, is still that, that sort of small, medium business. So that's where I'd like to talk today a little bit about. And, and first, why don't you give everybody a little bit more about your background and who you are? Sounds great. Um, so I'm currently, as you mentioned, at Deloitte in Canada in our Toronto office, and I'm a partner in our customer and marketing practice, which I think Corby and I were joking a bit earlier that maybe some folks didn't know that there was a marketing practice at Deloitte, but in fact, there is one and quite large. And within this group, I primarily focus, I would say, on, you know, obviously brand, brand strategy, uh, marketing strategy, and just generally, you know, how to be a good marketer and how do you bring together aspects from the corporate strategy side of things all the way through to what's the right way to measure and track and, and think about technology and what have you. So I've been doing that for the last two years. It's been a wonderful chance to work on a number of different organizations and different brands. Prior to that, I, I sort of lived a, a few different lives in the sense, always in, I would say, largely marketing and brand, but have lived it from the agency side where I spent a few years at a local uh, Toronto-based agency doing some really exciting things for different brands, which I love. And also have worked uh, client side, so basically retail and, and telcos and what have you, and really have, have kind of held that position of steward of the brands in those cases. And so why I love brand is because I've, I've lived it, I would say, the majority of my adult life and have, have sort of had this 
you know, this feeling um, that my role in life was to be the keeper of whatever respective brand I was, uh, I was working with or on at the time. And so I took the great responsibility and accountability that came with that, uh, that role in each of the organizations I was with. So in a world where a lot of organizations are spending a good chunk of their time and probably more importantly, a good chunk of their money when they think about advertising and reaching audiences in platforms like Google, like Facebook, how do you help to explain not just the value of, but maybe the definition of what brand means today? What, what is the definition of a brand and, and why is it still so relevant and important? Yeah. And I think that that's, you know, it's such a great question you, and you probably could ask 10 different people in the industry and, and in our field, you know, what does a brand mean and what's your definition? And you would come back with different answers, largely maybe something around the notion of, you know, a promise that you're keeping or a promise that you're making. For me, you know, to be honest, how I've just, you know, thought about brands and brands that I've been in charge of stewarding and trying to help evolve and grow for me, the brand has always been defined as that thing that you're aspiring to deliver to your audience. You know, like the, what you want to be as an organization or as a small company or whatever it might be, but the aspiration of what you want to be and stand up as for your intended target base. And I say aspiration because if I think about and, you know, we might get into this later and there's a whole other probably podcast to talk about my days at Target Canada. So I won't, <laughs> I won't use all of this one to talk about that. But, you know, when I joined Target uh, and led the marketing team and really the focus of the first year was to bring the Target experience and Target brand to Canada before we had any stores open. And I really felt that Target had an aspirational position of like what we wanted to do from a surprise and delight perspective and in, in offering Canadian consumers. And I, myself and the teams and, and not just in marketing, but across the entire organization, we really felt that we had this, you know, our, the brand was this aspiration and this goal of how we wanted to show up for consumers in Canada. And it kind of ended up being then this, like, you know, you could call it a North star or whatever buzzword people, you know, want to use these days, but it ultimately was what guided us and helped us make decisions, you know? So even down to product choices and category choices, like, is this right for what we want to deliver to customers based on the promises or based on these expectations we've set? And that would help us make even operational decisions within the company. And so for me, brand is just, you know, what do you want to be? Who are you? A good friend of mine phrases it as live your customer's story. And, and I think back to my own experiences within, let's say, a Target and the experience of walking into a large Target superstore in the United States and what was, you know, a Target store in Canada. And no matter what was on TV, no matter what was on the commercial, no matter how the flyer was printed, no matter what the price point was, it was a different experience. It was an incredibly different experience. And so... No matter what I was told and was sold from an advertising and marketing and brand delivery perspective, I still didn't necessarily feel that the Canadian experience was living my story based on what I was expecting and used to. And yeah. so I guess to your point, sometimes you need to not just wrap it in marketing, but you actually need to live it. You need to not just aspire to deliver it. You need to deliver it tactically. So what, what, what did you take out of that? And how does, how does that sort of shape and has shaped the rest of your career since then? No, absolutely. And you know, it, for, 
for us and, and, you know, it's, think anybody who's a target candidate, what we aspired to deliver and what we felt that we could legitimately deliver ended up not being the case once the stores opened, largely due to, you know, operational and supply chain and other challenges that really meant that the experience, like, so we, we had a year before stores opened to talk about the brand, to give not just, you know, the typical messaging or collateral and advertisements, but actually we did tons of experiential activities and activations before the stores opened to also help communities across Canada feel what the brand should feel like, right? So that more human sort of touch, the more emotive side of what brands, good brand should be. It shouldn't just be a functional benefit. You know, it should really be like, what, who are you and what's your value, your value system as a brand. So we did try to deliver all of that. And I do think up until the stores opened, there was a very strong following and momentum. Ultimately, when we opened the stores and the operations didn't back up what that promised experience was and the expectations that we set, absolutely, customers and consumers were disappointed. We were disappointed to the point where, to be quite honest, over a period of time, we actually pulled back all marketing. And so many of the assets that we had created during that pre-run-up phase, like videos and really cool experiences, we ended up pulling and shelving because we couldn't talk about the brand in a way where we were not delivering that due to the constraints and some of the challenges we had. I talk about that experience as it was two jobs in one, right? My first year there was really like riding a high. I was the most popular person at every cocktail party because everybody wanted to know all the ins and outs of when's Target coming and what's happening and all the great, uh, the scoop on what products and designers were coming. And then the days that the, the stores opened, I literally avoided every cocktail party after that because people just complained to my ear and it was, and I understood it. But it was, it was heartbreaking. So at that point, my role as, as kind of head of marketing then had to shift to crisis management to really like PR and media relations and to try to ultimately, actually, what I think I learned the most during that experience was the role of employees and colleagues in believing and still believing in the brand. So we had, a, we, you know, a, as you would expect, a crisis of confidence within our own teams that we couldn't deliver what we said and promised we were going to do. And I think it was really for me at that moment that I realized while I predominantly have worked in B2C kind of constructs, that my notion of branding then really became more of a B2E to C. So like, what's the brand mean to the employees and how do the employees en masse then take that out to the consumer base in a way that's very genuine and authentic? So that's a really good example when there's a human touch, when that retail experience is really, to your point, having to live and experience the brand to then experience it in front of the customer who experiences it from the employee, who takes it from the story and the marketing. But again, we're living in this very, and even more so now, you know, digital and distant world where many of the experiences we're having with organizations and companies aren't with any human being, right? It's e-commerce, it's online shopping, it's Zoom meetings where, yeah, there's someone there, but you know, 97% of the time they don't want to look at themselves, therefore they turn off their camera. And so- Kind of like now, FYI, but- Yeah, and we all, we all wear mismatched sweatpants and t-shirts and don't tell our friends and neighbors and coworkers about it, but- My new uniform, yeah. Yeah, my new uniform. So in that sense, when you take the employee or you take the human touch out of that equation of B to E to C, and you really do go B to C, but you go B to C in a non-traditional way, or maybe the new traditional way, you know, 
when you think about great examples of the kinds of things that organizations do to truly live their brand promise through digital channels, where do you see good examples of that? And and what are some of the tactics that businesses can do to really uh, achieve, you know, what the high could be in terms of almost having that employee live the brand, but without the employee in the middle? Yeah, no, and that and that's very true. And uh, to be honest, it's a discussion that we have quite a bit. And there's there's two two camps of marketers probably out there. I mean, even though obviously the modern marketer is is has embraced technology and digital and all the sort of benefits of of being more efficient now in the media and you know and how we're targeting consumers and what have you. But I think ultimately, I, I think it has to be a balance, right? So all, yes, if your if your business is completely um, online and it's it's all focused in a digital or you know virtual interaction. I think there are still ways to continue to first of all be human in that approach, right? So everything from the language and how your brand is showing up in in these channels, you're still there's still a language and there's still a tone and there's still a personality around that that you should know as your brand what you stand for very clearly. I always say the best brands are the ones with the most crystallized point of view because you know who you are, you know what you stand for. It's not a million things. It's very much focused on what makes you tick, what you value as a brand, and then ultimately over time, ideally, what differentiates you from your competitors in a meaningful way, right? And so brands that really have a great sense, whether they're small ones or large ones, can bring that same feeling or narrative or story into a digital environment, I think just, you know, through some of those methods. But I think on the human touch perspective, it's also how are you managing those interactions in a digital format in a, you know, in an intelligent way, in an empathetic way? Like how are your operations and processes set up digitally? So, you know, using data, obviously respectfully and, and in a way that delivers value to your end customers and consumers, but you know, we talk about personalization and I think it becomes a buzzword and what have you, but the more that you understand your customers, where they are, what they need, that they're different within the various segments of your business or their their needs will be different in terms of what they need from you as a brand, whether it be education or whether it be the quick transaction, the more you know and you're enabled as a brand through your data and through the various um, metrics and insights that you'll get from your digital platforms, the better and more responsive you'll be even at like, that's as close to a human experience, I think, as as we feel like you can get in, in some of those ways. So I don't think it means like it's the absence of any human touch, even though it's in a virtual way, if that makes sense. Yeah. And I'm also mad at you because every time I try and get that word personalization out of my lexicon, someone brings it back. I know. I don't love it either. I'll be honest, but... I've been trying to focus on a bit of a, a bit of a different term, relevance. Yes. And and the example for me is if I go uh, to let's say my favorite large online retailer who sells everything and delivers it because I pay them to deliver it to me for an annual membership fee, um, and I buy something, they will hit me up over and over again with buy that product again and buy other products that are incredibly related. But the point I try and say all the time is I've already bought that thing. So you kind of know a little bit about the stuff I like, but make it a bit more generalist. So to me, the concept of relevance means it's in the ballpark, but it doesn't have to be standing on the same base as me. There's not enough room for that, right? I only have one foot. No, absolutely. In some brands, I mean, I'm, I may have a little bit of a shopping, you know, a side job as a professional uh, shopper for myself. 
And so I've been doing a lot of online shopping in these days of COVID and some clothing retailers that I've been super impressed with, you know, in the sense of like, if I bought something, the next ads or the next you might likes have been served up in a way that have been not the exact matching top to that bottom or whatever it might be, but they've gathered that I have maybe a bold, you know, bolder style and I like prints or I like color. And so then what's served up to me next are, you could tell it's, it's more style based, right? And it's, it's kind of hits, well, in fact, they are way too relevant. And now I might not have to visit that site anymore because they are too tempting. But anyway. <laughs> I'm, I, might, I might have to shine a light at the end of this with regards to your Instagram feeds and all of the fashion that you do wear, but we'll keep that for another interview. Um, it's, uh, yeah, there's definitely been no Instagram posting of my pajama sets, my mismatched uh, t-shirts and other things. Yeah. The, the new uniform. Yeah. So all of what we've talked about is incredibly relevant for large organizations who have a lot of money and time and employees. Uh, what about the smaller business? What about the entrepreneur starting? What about the small retailer in the corner? What about the 100 person organization? You know, something that's more in that SMB space. What is it that they need to think about when it comes to brand and the value of investing in brand, even as a small organization? You know, it's it's interesting. We've been actually, or uh, my team, we've been working quite a bit with smaller organizations in the last little while. And I think due to a variety of factors, I think a lot of folks are starting to shop smaller and local because there's this desire to support, you know, your neighborhood and your communities and what have you. But we've also seen a lot of smaller brands, medium-sized brands that have started to look at their next five-year footprints, starting to drop their kind of revenue goals and corporate goal or visions for the next five, 10 years. And in some of those cases, expansion, geographic, or different channels has come up as, as part of that growth path. And it's at that point that they've started to say, hey, so how do we do that? Like, how do we grow? How do we become relevant in a new market? And that's spurred really interesting conversations in, in some of these cases, because it's really about, well, how do you want to grow? What are your parameters? You know, who, who are you for? And how do you want to come across in this really crowded landscape that you might be moving into next. And so these questions have naturally evolved to, well, what's your brand? And, and more often than not, I, to your point, a lot of the smaller organizations have just said, well, we, we do this, we sell this and we do it really well, or we produce this, or we, we offer this service. And I think they thought that they, they didn't really need to really focus on brand because it's really been the, the business that they're in that is really the definition. And when we start getting in these conversations, I think that what has been, the, for me, a great, a great learning is that the power of, of actually articulating what their brand is and what they hope for it to be and how they want to grow into it and what the values are that support that brand position, having those discussions has really spurred interesting conversations within their own organizations about who they are, right? And it, it kind of goes beyond just a brand exercise and it's gone you know, deeper into other facets of operations and what new segments and lines might they look at and what have you. And so I find that it's a... For me, brand is very, very strategic. And I think in a lot of cases, we think brand or, or folks that are, you know, maybe peripheral to the industry would think brand and think it's more of a creative expression. And obviously there are great ads and communications out there and great logos and names and all this wonderful creative work that does happen around a brand identity. But fundamentally for me, a brand is, is your strategic point of view. Um, and I think once an organization sees even a small organization or a mom and pop shop down the street sees that they can have a really distinct and uh, like a, who doesn't want to have a point of view, you know, 
And, and when your customers come in or consumers or people that want to try you out or are skeptical, whatever it might be, don't you want to be able to articulate why you should matter to them? So some will say purpose, right? Like what's your purpose? And there's a lot of talk about purpose these days, particularly with larger organizations. With the crisis, I think it's a lot of brands are, are determining where they stand and, and how they want to articulate that purpose. But even if you just boil down to the, the bare essence of it is like, what, what are your values as a brand? Like, what do you value? And if you can't talk about that or, or share that, then why would I as a consumer or want to really become invested in you for the long term? It's interesting because so many smaller businesses like to align themselves in physical locations close to their competitors, right? It's that, it's that clustering of furniture stores, that clustering of, 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 of fashion outlets, that clustering of restaurants of a certain ethnicity and background. And historically, you'd walk down and you'd have your favorite. And I can think, you know, of my own experiences trying to say, well, why did I pick one out of the 10 or 12 or 14? And I'm not really sure that there's a conscious element to it. Sometimes it's price. Sometimes I had a good experience. Sometimes there's a certain item or dish or piece of our clothing or brand, you know, of clothing that's sold there that, that you can't get anywhere else. But I think there's something much deeper to it. And I'm not really sure that organizations, particularly small ones, but large ones too, even understand how to measure the impact of how their brand is resonating. So maybe I'm going to get some free consulting out of you here <laughs> um, as, as I'm trying to help you know my listeners, but also myself with this little brand I'm trying to build around my podcast. What are a couple of tools, tricks, and platforms that uh, people, marketers, organizations can think about using to measure and monitor the effects of their brand? And, and maybe a couple of KPIs that you would say, if you were building the dashboard, yeah. what are the most important things that you need to measure, monitor, and really care about? Yeah. And I think, you know what, I think it's such a specific question and I always, and not to, not to try to not answer it, but I, I think that really what your metrics and how you want to look at um, measuring your brand is really has to be a bespoke kind of measurement plan to what you are trying to achieve. Um, as an organization, as an entrepreneur, as an individual brand, whatever it might be. I'll take back to my Target example. While we were launching Target Canada, we were at a, such a different part in our life cycle as a brand in Canada than the U.S. was, right? The U.S. had been open for 50 years, had very well-established um, trust and, and everything. And we were sort of new to market. People knew of us but didn't experience us before in that way. And so the brand metrics that mattered for the U.S. would have been different than the ones that really were meaningful for me at that time. And so we had to really look at what were we trying to achieve. And for us in those early days, it was really about feeling, you know, a sense of connection with us at the community level, that we weren't this big, bad American retailer that was coming in, you know, so the sense of being accepted into communities as, as a welcome member of community. In other cases, like where I've been uh, and other places we've been, you know, measurements like MPS start to factor in, which is a kind of a little bit of brand, but also largely experience-based. Measures of like brand love, I think, get used quite a bit. That's a tough one. You know, I, I've... To say that what percent of people love you as a brand, I mean, that's, is it helpful? You know what I mean? Like it's an interest. Yeah, it's theoretical. That's how many people have your logo tattooed on their body. That's, that's the big one. <laughs> so, you know, brand trust, like I know I've worked with brands that just this element of do I trust you as a brand has risen to the surface as one of the leading KPIs, because it's really, if you can get a consumer to trust you, I mean, that's such a higher order emotional, right? Like investment than just 
would I buy your products again? And so I really think you have to look at what your objectives are, where you are in the life cycle of the brand and determine what the right KPIs are. And they're going to be different for each brand. What I think is most important, to be honest, is what are you going to do with it? Like, I cannot tell you the amount of times that we have conducted research or as a head of marketing at different places have all this research shared with me about brand love and, the, you know, or whatever it might be, the brand metrics we're following at the time. But if you don't act on it or have the permission and the ability within the organization to engage stakeholders to actually act on what you're seeing, then don't track anything. And, and what I mean by that is there's only so much when some of this, this brand measurement tends to come in within marketing departments largely, and the CMO is, is usually the keeper of that metric. CEOs typically are interested in it, but you know it's sort of a nice to have sometimes. But ultimately, what is going to impact something like brand love, brand trust, or all these other measures, it's not the marketing that you're doing, and it's not the story that you're telling. You could be telling the most eloquent, lovely, emotive story ever, right? And the greatest ads and you know, the most impassioned, creative, what have you. But if the experience that that customer is experiencing on a day-to-day -day basis, if, if it's bad, then like there's nothing as the marketer you're going to be able to do about that. So you need your, your customer experience peers. You need your operational call center, you know, retail ops folks, store folks, all of your kind of broader team ultimately. So you asked me at the beginning, what is brands? And I said, it's aspirational, what you want to be, but it's not the words of what you want to be. It's the experience that you want to offer. So that's a perfect segue to the last question that I had for you, which was in that world of setting up this bespoke exercise of defining how you're going to measure it. Who does that? Who, who ultimately is the owner of brand in an organization? Yeah. So I'll give you the, maybe the Pollyanna answer, but everybody owns the brand. And I, and I say that, but I do mean that like everybody in an organization should be understanding what the brand is. So, you know, oftentimes a lot of the work I do is, is how to socialize and disseminate like the, the brand strategy through an organization so that everybody understands their role and how to bring it to life. So I think employees, if you're not proud of the brand you're working for or that you're in, then there's a problem, right? So you should ideally be an advocate for the brand for, for which you're kind of spending your majority of your day-to-day -day life. But ultimately, I think when it comes from an accountability standpoint, I always saw my role, you know, from a marketing standpoint as the, the shepherder or like the steward of it. Like I wanted to, I, I always put it on the agenda in our executive meetings. I always made sure that the brand had a, a place to breathe and had its own space to be part of discussions. But my expectation, and, and in some cases, companies were exceptional at it. Like everybody around the executive table from the CEO to the operational or, or what have you teams understood it, respected the brand and believed the brand was core to the fabric of the entire organization. It's why people and customers came to shop you or experience the brand or, or what have you. It's why they talk to their peers about it. And so the more that a brand is intertwined in that understanding and that respect and championing of it within the organization, then those are the healthiest ones, right? Somebody has to probably be that keeper and the ambassador and, and keep it top of mind, but ultimately everybody should own it. And that goes back to my model of like B to E to C, like brands should first make sense and resonate with their employees to then be able to resonate with their consumers.
You see, and as we've been talking, there's this one jingle that's been stuck in my head the entire interview. And I think about brand and I think about experience and I think about the power of recognition. And it's Olivia, based on what you talked about in your career, that you know a thing or two because you've seen a thing or two. And it's in my head and I'm not looking for insurance, but I really appreciate you sharing some of your wisdom. I think the notion of aspiring to deliver to your audience is a, is a really critical line that, that I might steal from you. I'm just letting you know in advance. I will quote you. The invoice is in the mail. Don't you worry. Okay. I, I don't invent anything. I just reuse all the time. That's why I do this podcast, by the way. Live your customer story, which again, came elsewhere, but I think is really, really relevant. And you know, the final point that is resonating with me from what you said that that the best brands ultimately have a crystallized point of view they they know why they exist whether you call it purpose or you call it experience it, it kind of doesn't matter yeah. the point is it is consistent it's crystallized and it's explainable and no matter who is standing there an employee the ceo the agency everybody to your point is a, a shared and equal owner in that story of a, of a crystallized view and most importantly proud of it I think that's the key. That's that's what will differentiate the most successful brands. Yeah. And get you the 10 out of 10 on the NPS studies. <laughs> that's a tough, uh, tough one, but yeah. <laughs> Excellent. Well, Livia, I really appreciate you spending the time with me today and uh, look forward to uh, a lot more as well. All right. Thanks so much. Take thanks. Care. Take care. You've been listening to Fine Tune. If you haven't done so already, please subscribe to the show wherever you get your podcasts. You can connect with me on Twitter at CFine, through LinkedIn at CorbyFine, or visit my website, CorbyFine.com. Fine Tune is produced by me, Corby Fine. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.